Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5 with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All right, we're all here to ruffle some feathers today. (laughs) I mean, maybe a little, yeah. Anytime we talk about Whole30, we're going to ruffle some feathers. They're going to come for us. Maybe not to our current audience. Yeah, they're going to come for us a little bit. Listen, they have already come for me before. They can try again. This is true. They have come for you hard. Today, we're going to talk about dry January. And I feel like everybody's talking about everybody (laughs) and everybody I know is talking about it, doing it, thinking about it, wanting to do it, feeling bad about not doing it, feeling bad about not being able to execute doing it, feeling bad about not wanting to do it. It's just like all these things are feeling like less than. And you know what that sounds like? That sounds a whole lot like a diet to me, right? Like this like morality that gets built into into it as a result. That's why we want to talk about this. There are a couple of reasons why we wanted to talk about this beyond everyone's talking about it. But it is it's giving very whole 30 about I would say like the 20 the 2013 to like 2017 18 whole 30 era when everyone and their mom either knew about whole 30 or was doing whole 30. Myself included. And by the way, <laughs> this is not going to be a triggering episode for EDDE people, so don't worry about that. But we wanted to talk about it because a lot of the marketing from literally everywhere that we are seeing is like, don't want to do a restrictive diet? Do dry January instead, which I don't know, sounds very parallel to what Whole30 used to say, even though it is a very restrictive protocol. And it seems like, I'm sure it's the same for you, Christina, and probably a lot of the listeners as well, but like, I cannot do two scrolls through Instagram or any kind of social media or news that I'm looking at without getting something about like dry January or damp January from all of these different places. And it's understandable because January is definitely this time where it feels like the possibilities are endless for the new year. And it's, you know, this can sound very appealing for the people who really want to either do something or participate in something in January. And if you've been on this more non-diet, non-reset protocol thing or been thinking about it, this isn't dieting, but it's health-focused. And if you want to be a part of something, it's like, ooh. But what we wanted to talk about is there's a lot of similarities between both the marketing, the execution, the like guilt and shame, and the like I should around Whole30 and Dry January. There's a bunch of disclaimers here also that we will get into, but we just wanted to talk about that. Before we really jump into the meat of today's episode, we wanted to talk to you about some really fun, exciting upcoming changes that we have coming to the podcast. We wanted to share that this is going to be the last month of having four episodes live on the podcast feed, and now our last episode of every month 
is now going to be available in a Patreon exclusive alongside a lot of other things. But we wanted to just to explain why we're doing this, what inspired us to do this since you're on this journey with us. And we don't want you to think that we're taking something away because we're actually creating more. As you all know, we both have our own private nutrition practices. We are not full-time podcasters. We are what we would call like a homegrown podcast. Everything is done in-house. We don't outsource editing. like Anything. I do the editing. I do the production. Christina is our social media manager. Everything that we do is all us. All the outlines, reaching out to guests, like literally everything. We do it all. And I love doing it. As a result of that, we need help with being able to maintain and keep up with the podcast the way that we want to keep it up. And so what we're looking for is support from our most loyal listeners or newcomers and the people who are really excited and want to dive even deeper into it, a place in order to do that. And today's episode is kind of a little preview of one of the types of things that you will get in our last episode of the month. And then you'll be able to see all of our after the episodes, all of our bonus content, all of those different types of things that we're offering on Patreon. We're providing to you as a way to for us to continue doing what we want to do and to provide more value to you guys as you dive deeper into this. In Patreon, there's so much more education and stuff that we go into that really provides you with an opportunity of diving deeper into your relationship with food and your body in a really safe container. And that's ultimately what we wanted Patreon to be, this really safe place for people to come who want to dive in more, who maybe can't do a one-on-one coaching session with us on a regular basis. They can dive deeper with us in Patreon. You know, we're not saying if we don't get enough support on Patreon, the podcast is going away. We're not saying that. You're still going to be able to get our regularly scheduled podcast episodes. You're still going to get all of the same content that you're used to getting already on the free feed. So we don't want you to think that our podcast is becoming a place that's all behind a paywall, that in order to get this information and get this education, you have to pay something for, because we certainly don't want that. It matters a lot to us to make sure that our approach is accessible to everybody. But we also need to know that this is not something that we're doing as a nonprofit business, right? And right now we're giving a lot of our own personal money towards the maintenance and ongoing work of this podcast. This podcast isn't going anywhere. We are really committed to continuing the podcast, but we do need support in order for it to run at the way that we would love for it to grow and to continue to grow. So we'd love to have you come on over to Patreon and support the podcast and also dive a little bit deeper into your relationship with food and your body. All for the lovely cost of a little bit more than a cup of coffee a month. Just saying. (laughs) Also, the juiciest bit, you're getting more behind the scenes things that we don't say in front of a paywall. It's only behind a paywall. (laughs) So if you want to know the tea, this is where to come. (laughs) Come hang out with us today and every day. And every day. Okay, let's get back to the episode. There's a lot of disclaimers, right? We're not saying that binge drinking is a wonderful activity and that everyone should be doing it. And we just want to make that be known, right? We're also not saying that there's there's also nothing wrong with wanting or having the desire to reflect or reduce your alcohol intake. We also think that's a wonderful thing to observe, look at, check into, reflect on. And it is actually objectively better for your health to do so. 
it's like objective. It's objectively better to reduce your alcohol intake for your overall health, right? Also for your mental health. Like it can go, it can cross a lot of barriers here with that. So we think that dry January is a wonderful opportunity to examine your relationship with alcohol and can be used in a really beneficial way. If you are looking back and thinking to yourself or having reflections like, man, I feel like I drink a lot and I feel like I use alcohol in like a weird way, this might be a really great opportunity for you to feel not alone in kind of taking a step back from alcohol and kind of seeing where it's going and what your relationship with it is. And all we're trying to say in this episode is that we do find a lot of parallels between uh, a binge restrict cycle of something like a Whole30 and with Dry30 or Dry January. we I started calling it Dry30 <laughs> so, <laughs> because I think one of the things that in every kind of protocol or thing like this where we're taking something away, what are we doing about when we're reintroducing these things, right? What is the buildup for that? Um, and I think a lot of times what makes these types of things like dry January so like kind of like look a lot like and feel a lot like a diet is because sometimes it can really reinforce this idea of restriction and that the only way to examine your relationship with something or make some type of change or adapt to a new type of habit that you want to do or anything like that, you have to remove it entirely for an extended period of time in order to do that type of reflection and look at, right? And I think it kind of reinforces this. And I can't tell you probably how many of us probably raise your hand if you're listening and you relate to this, that not only are you doing dry January, but you're also like, I want to overhaul my entire pantry and I'm going to do all these other things too. And then there it kind of gets built into and clumped with this idea of I have to be doing all of the things and removing all of this stuff in order to be healthy. Yeah. And it's really interesting because I think it's a cultural issue is like the big thing here is one of the big things here, at least because we're recording this about mid-January, right? And I'm already seeing the memes and all the things that are like, oh, you know, I'm I, like sad girl January because I'm doing dry, I was going to say dry 30. <laughs> Christina, it's in my brain now. Uh, because I'm doing dry January, you know, or like, oh, me like looking sad all like all over my friends who are like not doing dry January or like LOL who already broke di dry January or whatever. And it's really, it's reinforcing this idea that you can't be social and you can't have fun and you can't do a whole bunch of these other things unless you have alcohol, which is a big part of the let's examine our relationship with this. Because I think what a lot of people do in dry January, similarly to how I observe people doing with Whole30 or when you're doing, you know, even therapeutically designed elimination protocols for gut stuff or thyroid or whatever, people basically just like hunker down in the bunker of their home and they're like, like I'm not going out for a month because I'll be too tempted and I'll have to have a cocktail or like I won't be able to control all of these different inputs around me and it's just not going to go well. And it's like, okay, 
here are different things that we can examine, right? And I think the one disclaimer we forgot to talk about is like, we're not talking about alcoholism, obviously, where you need to work with counselors and work on abstinence and other stuff like that. And I think Dry January can be a really interesting tool to help you examine your relationship with alcohol. But the interesting thing is, is it's a it's not just the 30 days where we're examining things, right? It's the before and it's the after. And this is where we see a lot of the parallels with something like Whole30. Because I can't even tell you the number of Whole30s that I've seen people do. And I had done myself in the past where it was like, oh, my God, we're starting on this day. Like we're having a Super Bowl party the day before or we're like gorging ourselves on whatever because I'm not allowed to have this for the next 30 days. And then for a lot of people, a lot of people, I would say the majority of people, what are you doing on day 31? If you're planning to have like go to boozy brunch or planning to basically like celebrate with the thing that you were eliminating, it is really simple to not just let that slip, but just to you take one step forward and it's like, whoop, all of a sudden we're in this binge restrict cycle and you've eliminated something for 30 days. And now you're like, oh my gosh, I feel like I've made no progress. It's and People go into a dry January with like a lot of different motivations and a lot of different intentions, a lot of different like, oh, am I like just doing this because I want to lose weight? Am I doing this because I want to sleep better? Am I doing this because like I just want to see if I can cut alcohol out for 30 days? There's a lot of different ways that people kind of find this entry point. But we find that the thing that is missing is really the examination, <laughs> right? Of like thinking about. Why am I doing this? How am I feeling during that? What can this tell me about my relationship with alcohol? And then what am I going to do with that information going forward? Yeah, I think one of the things that is hard to ignore, too, is how deeply entwined our relationship with alcohol is with our relationship with food. And a lot of times I find that like when we have, you know, a complicated relationship with either one of them. um, they can kind of play off of each other. I know we've talked about this before, Dana, like you've talked about this. We've talked, I've talked about this from like a parenting standpoint, like the whole mom culture, which like wine culture with parents and stuff like that and all of that stuff too. But I think that there is this idea of like, okay, I think some people understandably are thinking about, well, if I've removed this variable of alcohol, maybe that will have an impact on my binge-like behaviors or when I feel out of control because drinking is op- like often like an opening for kind of like eating all the things or doing all this kind of stuff. And so you feel like they're intertwined together. And I think that sometimes we we that's also like a, a really understandable reason for wanting to maybe participate in something like dry January because you feel like it is going to have this offshoot effect on the way that you're interacting with food. But I think we're missing the point if we're only spending the next month. We it's almost like kind of like um like throwing gasoline on a fire, right? Like it's already burning. There's already embers there. And we know that more restriction leads to an inevitable pendulum swing in the other direction. And so I think what's going to happen, like what can happen is it's almost like this perfect storm where you're restricting something like alcohol that is like your gateway to eating behaviors that make you feel physically uncomfortable and emotionally uncomfortable. 
And then you go back to alcohol and then those behaviors come back and it almost like in a way reinforces the idea that alcohol is the problem where, yeah, for some people it might be. Some people might do a lot better, um, you know, not drinking and being sober and being, you know, or having a damp kind of life and not having an alcohol focused life. I am one of those people where I love not drinking. A damp kind of life sounds so weird. <laughs> it does sound really weird. Oh my gosh, I just cackled. But anyways, enough about that. But anyways, my whole point is going back to what Dana's saying is that you we have to examine the relationship overall and are we trying to learn something are we trying to apply dieting like approaches to alcohol and what we know about dieting like behaviors are restrict leads to binges if we're restricting something like alcohol it can easily mirror and mimic that same type of restrict binge type of relationship. And so that doesn't, again, like it doesn't mean that we think dry January is bad or that we think that people shouldn't be doing it and that people should just be like drinking nonstop willy nilly. (laughs) We've already said objectively, it's better for your health to, to reduce your alcohol intake and to observe your relationship with alcohol. I think it's even more prudent if you find yourself in this pattern of alcohol and food playing into each other, and then you're constantly playing restrict binge with both, and you're noticing maybe Monday through Thursday, you're doing really well with food and alcohol, and then on the weekends, it's like you're only at home, cuddled up with Netflix, eating popcorn and not, not drinking, not eating, and not doing anything because you feel like you can't do social things as a result of it. I think that's really important to to observe and examine that because they are often so deeply tied to each other. And I see this all the time. And I know, Dana, you see it all the time, too. Yeah. I think the not necessarily the red flag, but like the preemptive orange flag is like if you have a history with eating disorder, disordered eating, chronic dieting, or even just doing some kind of elimination, elimination, boasted, <laughs> elimination based <laughs> protocol. Did you hear me snort? Please keep it on. That's so funny. I just snorted you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're used to doing some kind of elimination based protocol, usually with dieting, you know, maybe with something else. These are the types of all-or-nothing binge-restrict behaviors that can come into even if you're trying to examine your relationship with alcohol from the most neutral possible perspective, right? You know, we're going to emphasize this over and over. We're not saying that either examining your alcohol intake or reducing your alcohol intake is inherently a bad thing. It's not, right? But when you are used to bringing in these perfectionist behaviors, plus paired with the kind of superiority morality clause or whatever that goes in with dieting or doing a restrictive protocol, the whole like, oh, I could never do that, good for you kind of thing. This is like a lot of toxic thinking can be brought into something that could have just been real neutral, right? It's like, hmm, not really sure, you know, what what am I doing with alcohol here, right? Like when does it, how frequently does it come up into my life? How frequently am I drinking each week? Like, how much do I drink? 
How do I feel when I drink? Like, is this impacting my health? You know, those are the types of things that dry January can be really helpful for. But I find that as we have uh, hopefully left the like whole 30 era, there are more and more people that are getting into basically dry January is the new elimination diet for weight loss. Um, and then on the other side of things, they're just completely going back to their regular binge drinking type behaviors, which objectively is worse for your health, right? So what we're saying is what we want for everyone is like, if you are thinking about examining your relationship with alcohol, if you're sober curious, which is something we're going to talk about in after the episode today, um, this is something that can be done, but try to avoid approaching it with the all or nothing perfectionist moral high ground mentality that comes with something like elimination diets in January, the holier than thou, whole 30, and like all of these other things as well. Because when that happens, it really just does turn into a 30-day elimination protocol. And on day 31, we're just going back to whatever we were doing before. Now, do you have anything else? Okay, yeah, yes, you go. One thing that I wanted to bring up too is <clears throat> sometimes that holier than thou can be off onto other people. But I actually think one of the biggest telling things is if, let's say, you have alcohol or you eat something that feels like outside of what your values are, right, or you do something that feels like against the grain in that way or makes you feel, I would be more inclined how judgmental you are of self. Where is your shame, guilt spiral coming in as you're examining this or as you're noticing it? If you're saying like, oh, I had alcohol and I had a lot and then the next morning you're having all of the feels about yourself like, man, I'm a shitty person. I wish I hadn't done that. What else did I do? Oh, my God. And then I ate all this stuff. I feel disgusting. I'm gross. Like, why can't I get myself together? All of that like really toxic um, shame and guilt type language that comes up in our minds. That's a really great um, observation to make of okay, there is something happening here around my relationship with alcohol and or food. And you might see it happen in two different places. Sometimes it's just alcohol. Sometimes it's food. Sometimes it's both at the same time and how they play off of each other. But this is a time for you to be able to examine your own drinking habits and being able to see how is this impacting my life? How is this impacting the way that I look and think and feel about myself? And why do I feel so shameful and have a lot of guilt when I participate in these types of activities. What is coming up for me? How can I process that? And then bring it either to your therapist or someone like a therapeutic type of relationship that you have with like someone like me and Dana that you're looking at your relationship with food and we can talk about your relationship with alcohol in the same type of way. But I think it's really important to observe not just I feel better than others when I'm not doing this and there's that superiority and also but when I deviate from it I feel really shitty about myself mm -hmm. yeah something else I think that is um helpful to examine and we have talked about this a long time ago I don't think we've talked about it in a while but both food and alcohol can be used as very numbing potent numbing agents um and that is definitely something that you could use something like dry January to examine. Because if you're constantly using or whenever you do use it, 
alcohol as an escape because, I mean, I always say this about reading, but like I read fantasy because I don't want to be here, (laughs) right? So like I want to lose myself in a book, but people will do the same thing with alcohol. And sometimes this can happen in the middle of a binge as well. It's like it's kind of this out-of-body experience where it's like, oh, I finally don't have to be confined with this like meat suit that I'm wearing or within, you know, if you are an anxious person, if you have depression, if you have ADHD, if your mind is constantly racing, then engaging in some kind of numbing behavior can be the thing that gets you out of your head, right? But as we always say, you know, this may be a coping tool that you use, but when it becomes the only coping tool or the only go-to coping tool that you have, specifically when it's something like alcohol, that is something that we probably you know, it would probably be better in the long term if we examined that in some way, shape or fashion, whether it's doing something like a dry January, working with a therapist, a counselor, anything like that. So that's just something that I wanted to bring up before we go into what really makes them different in terms of these food elimination protocols and dry January. Well, I mean, I think the main thing is that dieting is a culture and not just not sorry, not a culture, a business. Right. Mm. It's an industry that makes a lot of money off of you. Right. The alcohol industry is losing, <laughs> is losing, <laughs> In dry January, is yeah. losing money <laughs> off of you. So they're not, you know, like facilitating this, but the dieting industry is a industry, you know. And so when you're doing something like a diet protocol, they're directly benefiting from that. Do I think they're also possibly benefiting from dry January? Probably. Um, in some way, shape, or form, right? But I think that's one thing that is makes them very different, right? Is that also another thing that I feel like makes them kind of different too is that, you know, when it comes to things like dry January, it's only one thing. Whereas, and there's no one telling you, there's no business or organization or individual telling you all the things that you need to give up and what you can't have. It's really just that one thing. Which I guess is like, you know, whatever, um, not that dissimilar from a diet, but for some reason it feels slightly different, which I guess people might relate to that. But yeah, that's one thing that makes them different. And the other thing is it's kind of objective that alcohol reduction is better for your health, whereas a lot of these diets like, dude, we've proven time and time again that it's not really objectively better for everyone. And I might even say in some cases, in most cases, it's objectively worse for you to follow dieting protocols over and over again. Yo-yo weight loss, has, like yo-yo weight gain and loss has been shown to be way more detrimental to your long-term health than being one size and staying that one size. Um, so, But we do know that re- reduction of alcohol intake is objectively better for people. So that's, I think, Yeah, I think those are the two main things that I can think of. Do you have any other thoughts? Dana does. Yes. Please (laughs) dive in. I'm trying to decide how much of this I want to save for the after the episode. But I mean, I'll talk about Whole30 until the cows come home. (laughs) Um, I mean, when, when Christina was mentioning, you know, like this is an industry, this is a business. It's interesting because when you look at the different types of diets that are out there, you know, name, there's things like intermittent fasting, there's things like keto, there's things like paleo, but there's no like one person or one kind of conglomerate that is like the face of those. And it's like, we're doing the keto January or we're doing the keto blah, 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 whatever, you know, like there's a bunch of different 
subsets of those different diet protocols. But yeah, I mean, when you look at something like Whole30 or, you know, one that was going on for a a long time was like the 21 day sugar detox or, you know, any of these things that are like one singular organization or something. Weight Watchers. At the end of the day. Yeah. At the end of the day, they are a business. And if you don't keep buying their cookbooks and doing their things, they go out of business. So the way that they keep their business afloat is like everybody couldn't just do a Whole30 in January and then we all forget about it for the rest of the year and they still stay afloat as whatever amount of hundreds of thousands of dollar business that they are. So it's like, oh, you know, like we're going to do Whole30 January. Oh, by the way, like we're also going to do it for May because you need a reset before the summer. Oh, and by the way, we're also going to do a global Whole30 in September because you need to reset for the beginning of the school year. Oh, and then by the way, if you ever feel like you're feeling out of control with food because you're not eliminating all these things all the time or you've gone on vacation, oh, you can just do a seven-day reset or you can do a 14-day reset. And I obviously have a lot of issues with this, but from the business perspective, if you think about it that way, that is the only way for them to stay afloat. So they are not an objective party to your health. They want your money. And this is, you know, this is Whole30. This is also a whole bunch of other things. It's not me just jabbing at Whole30, but I will continue to do that until the cows come home. But also, you know, a point about that is a lot of these different elimination diets that are time-based and elimination-based, especially if they say like, oh, this is to, you know, work on your relationship with food. Well, What are we doing to work on our relationship with food? Well, what are we doing? And also, why are so many people coming out the other side with binge eating and a lot of eating disorder type behaviors and lists of fear foods that they now can't eat without having either a lot of fear or a heightened nervous system response or a lot of GI issues Mm -hmm. after that because we've cut it out for 30 days? And this is not to say, again, disclaimer on disclaimer on disclaimer, right? Like, there are a lot of people that have done one of these elimination protocols and they're like, wow, I have, I never noticed before. But I have noticed that I get disaster pants every time I eat, you know, broccoli or like Greek yogurt or something, which I didn't know until I did this protocol. Cool. That's not a bad thing, right? Like that's one way that you were able to examine the way that your body interacts with that food. It's just all this extra stuff that makes it all very muddy, which, by the way, if you want to hear, yes, it's not objective. If you want to hear like an hour long why I quit Whole30, that's going to be, well, it's already posted on Patreon. We're going to start doing these things where we're posting episodes from the vault. So a little bit of an admin background. If you didn't know, if you go on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or like any of these kind of podcast feeds or catchers, you can really only see the last like 100 episodes. And we have a 300 episodes of this podcast almost when this is coming out. So what we're going to start doing is instead of those just being lost in the ether and never being able to find again, we're going to start posting them in our Patreon community. So if you want to hear the in the moment 2018, why I quit Whole30 and the issues that I was seeing from within it, it'll be linked in the show notes. Yeah. You're welcome to go check it out. Yeah. I mean, I think also, too, I think you can listen to that and kind of take takes take note of your motivations behind dry January, why you're doing these things too, and maybe how it might mimic that. You know, if you have a history of doing these types of 
month-long protocols and things like that, and now you're really latching on to dry January, I think it's relevant, if nothing else, to sit down and think about what is this doing to serve me? How am I using this? And how can I make it more beneficial for me in actually examining my relationship with alcohol? Why do I feel like my relationship with alcohol needs to be examined at all? Is it because I, for New Year's Eve, went out and partied with my friends and moved on with my life and I feel like now I need to give it all up? Maybe you don't. Maybe you just had fun on New Year's and you're just calling it a day. Do I feel like I'm constantly doing that and I'm feeling crappy every Monday morning? It's Sunday scaries, like like hardcore every single week and you fully identify with that? Yeah, maybe that is something that you want to to look more around. Are all of my things that I'm doing, all of my social outlets and fun centered around alcohol? Maybe it is something that you should re- you should be looking into or thinking about or observing. Do you have a problem? I also think too, like, do I have a problem with my social gatherings being centered around alcohol? If the answer is no, need move no further. Like just, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah. like, who are we to judge that? You know, just because mm-hmm. they are doesn't mean that that's inherently a problem either. And I think yep. that's something else to kind of to think about too, is why am I obs- like feeling like this is something that I need to participate in? Why? What is my motivation behind doing it? Why do I feel like I have to do this? And am I doing anything to actually look at my relationship with alcohol during this time? Or if I'm, or am I just cutting it out and then fully expecting mm-hmm. to go to boozy brunch with all my girlfriends and have a, a damn good time? If you are, that's cool too. But if you're actually looking to examine your relationship with alcohol, this is a really great opportunity to actually do that. Mm-hmm. And I would, you know, I would noodle on it. I would journal on it. You know, think about noodle on do it. you not like how often or how much you're drinking, right? Does it, do you think it impacts? And this can be a question, you know, if this is the beginning of an experiment or something, I'm wondering if this impacts my sleep, if it impacts my skin, if it impacts my blah, 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 right? I mean, this isn't a long enough period of time where you could probably like go to the doctor and get blood work and then, you know, do this for a while and then get blood work again. Like that would be one way to examine it, but you would have to do this for longer. Um, but you could also think about, do I use alcohol as a numbing agent? Like how often does that happen? Do I feel like I can't be social without alcohol? Is the thought of doing a dry January extremely intimidating for you? And if so, like what is coming up during that process? Because you know, we've mentioned this a couple of times that you don't have to do a dry January to look at your relationship with alcohol. You can plan more events with friends that aren't alcohol related. Heck, we've even been seeing articles come out in like Washington Post, New York Times, like all over the place that if dry January is too much, like you can do what they're calling like a damp January, which I don't really know what the exact parameters of that are. But it sounds like drink a little bit less, which is still advantageous for your health. One thing I did want to bring up, though, um, which this is a parallel that we do see with elimination diets, is a restrictive plan, whether it's for alcohol or food, can kind of backfire in the sense that it can make you more aware of alcohol and make you want to drink more. So Christina and I had both mentioned this before, is like, 
whenever we had done some kind of like, whether it was, I don't think I've ever done a dry January, but maybe it was like, oh, I'm not trying to drink as much or, well, I you know, I think when I did Whole30, I didn't, I didn't drink, right? Like that was well, a whole Yeah, that's true. Every elimination yeah. diet I ever did was always, there was always a dry aspect of it too. Yeah. But the interesting thing that happens is even if you are not someone who drinks during the week or drinks very often or whatever, if you have this old eating disorder, disordered eating, chronic dieting, weight cycling, anything type of brain, then the thought of restricting something is like, ooh, 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 no, 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 no. Like we don't want to do that. And it's kind of like when you go on a diet and you're like, oh, I'm not allowed to eat chocolate or potato chips. What are you going to be thinking about all the time? Chocolate and potato chips. Even when if you are not a person who drinks consistently or often or anything like that, now you're thinking about alcohol way more than you were before. So that's just something to notice as well. Yeah. No, I think that's such a good point, too, is that kind of the more you restrict, the more you think about that one item. And I think that's something that we can observe in our relationship with food and with alcohol. And I think that's another parallel to how this can show up and how it can feel a lot like elimination diet. And I don't think that necessarily means that you're addicted. No. Right? It's also just like what you restrict, restrict you obsess, you know? Um, and I think that's something to kind of cons consider and think about. And I don't think that you need to jump to a conclusion that you're now addicted to alcohol and you're out of control around it just because you're having those things. If you are identifying with that and noticing that and feeling that way, this is an opportunity for you to go and talk to your therapist about it. Like talk to someone who can help you unpack all of the complicated feelings that you have that are coming up for you and work through that. Mm -hmm. Right. That doesn't necessarily mean it could. Right. It could mean I have a really, um, you know, combative, complicated relationship with alcohol that I want to address and work on because it's showing up in a lot of other areas of my life and it's kind of, you know, kind of taking over. Or mm -hmm. it's really just I've pulled the pendulum in this other direction and now my body's reacting to that restriction. Yeah. And I think it's interesting and it can be really hard to even open up to talk to someone about this because I think for a very long time there were only two options with alcohol, you know, in regards to like your relationship with it. Either like I'm fine with it or I'm an alcoholic, right? There was no in-between or anything. So I think one of the great things that has come up with Dry January being more popular and then also there's a book called Sober Curious out there and there's other things similar to that that, I mean, I don't know the names of all of them, but that I think was one of the things that kind of started this whole movement is now people are realizing it's not this dichotomy. You know, there's a large spectrum of a relationship with alcohol, the same as there's a large spectrum of a relationship with food. And if you want to talk to someone about it, it doesn't mean that you have a problem. It just means that, hey, I'd love to examine the role that this plays in my life. And then you can, once you, you know, have kind of delved into that information, you get to decide if you want to make any changes. Given the information that you have about yourself and then, you know, the health information in regards to alcohol, your family history, you know, all of that other stuff, because all of this goes into your decision making. And we're not here to tell you that you should all be sober. You know, we're not here to tell you that everybody should be doing dry January because you'll never hear us say anything that like everyone should be doing this, you know. But we hope this was helpful for you guys. We have a juicy after the episode today. 
that we're going to be doing exclusively for our Patreon members. And we're going to be doing this more often. Christina is going to be talking about mom drinking culture which we actually do have an episode where we talked about this with Dr. Conlon Reichman. So we'll link that. We're going to talk about the book Sober Curious a little bit, which I read, I think, a year or year and a half ago. We're going to talk about, this is the juicy part, (laughs) examining our own relationships with alcohol and how these have evolved over time and like how, based on our own experience, because we are not therapists, we are not substance counselors or anything like that, But we want to talk about when we as nutritionists are coming from a non-diet approach, like what does a non-diet relationship with alcohol even look like? So that's going to be over on Patreon if you're interested in checking it out. And like we had mentioned before, this episode is an example of the final episode of the month that you're only going to be able to get on Patreon. So we mentioned this before. But just as a reminder, going forward, the final Wednesday episode of every month is going to be exclusively over for our Patreon members. And we're going to be talking about stuff like this. And we'll give you previews of what that's going to look like in advance. And so we'll see you all over there. And let us know if you have any questions about Dry January, follow-up questions, comments, anything like that. Hit us up on Instagram, email us, whatever you want to do. Comment on this episode, put a review, whatever. (laughs) Put a review, whatever. What up? (laughs) We would love your reviews. (laughs) What ups? <laughs> hey friends, it's Dana, and thanks so much for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast today. Find us on social media at Wholehearted Eating Pod on Instagram and at wholeheartedeating.com for more information about working with Dana and Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling. If you love the show, we would love you forever if you'd share an episode with your family and friends or tag us on social media or leave a five-star rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts to help more people find the show. Check out patreon.com slash wholeheartedeating to help support the show and get access to ad-free episodes, bonus episodes with us and our guests, episode discussions, new resources we're creating for Patreon, and so much more. If you have questions for us, feedback on the show, potential topics or guests you'd love to have on, shoot us an email at hello at wholeheartedeating.com and we'll see you next week.